Good afternoon. It's wonderful to be back with everybody. Certainly thankful for all those that prepared the food, had a wonderful meal together, wonderful fellowship, and a great time together. Enjoyed it. For those that didn't get to be with us this morning, welcome. Glad that you're here and glad you'd be part of this as we continue to study and look at these things. We began a series on exercising yourself to godliness. And this afternoon, we're going to look at some tools of training. And as I said, as we concluded this morning's lesson, when we get into this, we're not going to talk a lot about the, the resources of how to train, such as Bible study and prayer and fasting. Certainly those things are, are valuable and they're very much so a part of the exercise in ourselves to godliness. And we'll touch on many of those topics throughout the week, but we're not going to take the time today to, to get into a detailed study. What I do want to say about those things as we begin, though, is I want to encourage you to to look at your practices of prayer life, your practices of study life, your practices of fasting, and, and things of that nature that you use to, to grow spiritually, and use this as a time to refresh yourself on that, to challenge yourself and look at, am I using it the best way? Are there other tools, other ways that I could do these things that might help me? We talked a little bit this morning about someone that goes to the gym for the very first time, or that's new to the gym, and how very often they don't understand the equipment, they don't understand how to use the equipment. One of the things that would help a person that was going to begin an exercise regimen is learning how to do certain exercises the proper way. You know, as I started going back to the gym myself, one of the things I learned is that a lot of the techniques that I had learned as a young man were now considered the wrong technique, that they had found that it wasn't the best way to do a certain exercise, that there was new evidence, new science that they found that said this improves it. And so I think there's some value in each of us taking the time to look at how we approach the scriptures, how we study the scriptures, how we approach fasting and, and perform fasting or prayer life, those types of things to give a fresh look at those things. But as I said, we're not going to get into those types of things really a lot of what we're going to have to talk about today has to do with attitude. Some things that we need to have in our lives that's going to make us more committed to the program of exercising ourselves to godliness. To begin with, the first thing I want to put in front of you, and hopefully this will kind of explain the direction we're going to go, is I believe the very first thing that you need to have in yourself, a tool that you need to, to re have as a resource, is humility. The reality is, is you're not going to train if you don't think you need training. You're not going to get in shape if you don't think you need to be in shape. I know this, there's a lot of people that never go exercise until their doctor says, hey, there's a problem with your heart. If you don't change your diet, you're going to die in a year. Suddenly those people that couldn't control what they eat, suddenly those people that just said, I can't help myself, find the self-control, find the restraint to pass up on the dessert, find the restraint and the self-control to get up and go walk. And likewise, I think when it comes to the idea of spiritually exercising ourselves. It's not easy. It's not fun. There are difficulties and challenges that are involved in that process. And so part of being able to accept that challenge and moving forward is having the humility that says, I do need to change. I do need growth. Notice, if you will, here, Proverbs chapter 3. The Bible says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the humble or to the lowly. The idea is, is that if I want God's grace, as we talked about this morning, that's who I am at my core, a sinner that's received God's grace and that I still need that grace. Part of that process is acknowledging my humility before God, acknowledging that I need to change, acknowledging I need to grow, and having that humbleness that's willing to say, I don't have it all figured out. I still have areas in my life that need improvement, and I'm committed to the standards of God as my standards. That it's not about my call, but it's about what God wants out of me. Very specifically, without humility, it becomes hard to be the kind of people that will change. One of the things that doesn't happen is we become unteachable. 
Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 13 says, Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. You know, there's a temptation, a struggle that all of us face as we grow and get older in the faith. I'm not talking about necessarily age-wise, but as our faith matures, we get to the point where we're going, well, I've already struggled with that once. I've wrestled with that. I know what that means. And we get to that point where we can't be admonished, not just by one another, but by even God's Word. Sometimes we sit there and someone quotes a scripture, turns to a scripture, and our first thought is, well, I think he's wrong on that scripture. I don't, I don't agree 100% with how he's using that scripture. And we become a judge and a critic of, of God's word and of God's teaching to other people instead of saying, what does God want me to learn in this moment? What is it that God's teaching me and becoming a person that can be still taught? You know, in any position in life, when we get to the point where we become unteachable, we really get to a point where we become useless to those around us. And I think that's true spiritually speaking as well. When I get to that point in my mind where I'm not teachable, where I don't think I can learn anything more and I can't keep growing as a Christian, that is, I lack the humility, then I'm just like this old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. It's better to be a poor and wise child, he says. And so that's the attitude I need to have. If I'm going to engage in the spiritual exercises to become more godly, it begins by seeing myself as one that needs that, that is desirous of that, and is willing to be taught what it is I need to change in my life. Consider, if you will, here Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You know, scriptures teach here that I don't have the solutions. I don't have the answers. Part of humility is acknowledging that before myself. That I'm willing to look at it and say, no, not that I don't have sin, but I do have sin but I don't have the answers within myself that I'm not going to make excuses, I'm not going to justify my sin. I'm going to say, God, it's not in me to direct my path, therefore I need you to be the one that directs me, that shows me. And I'm humbling myself and becoming to God and to His Word and to those that are my counselors in God's Word to teach me and to direct me. That humility is tied to our willingness to engage in this exercise. I find it interesting, I don't know if you've ever looked at the statistics for the New Year's resolutions. If you're a gym member, you know at a New Year's resolution, the gyms in January just fill to the rafters. But by February, end of February, it's back to the normal crowd. I did some study one time on what were the most common New Year's resolutions that have been made. and The number one resolution is all, for several years running has been to quit smoking followed by lose weight. Those have been the top two for many, many years. The funny thing is, is people say they want to quit smoking. People say they want to quit or to lose weight and to get in shape, but they really don't want to. The truth is they think they should and they probably know they should, but the reality is, is they're not dissatisfied enough with what they have to dig in and make the changes. They're not, they really don't have the humility to say, this really needs to change about me, and I need to be teachable, and I need to be one that can be directed and one that can be led into a different way of thinking, into a different lifestyle. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that look at Christianity, and they look at Christians and they say, you people are the ones that think you have it all figured out. You've got all the solutions. And look at you, you walk around like you're better than us. You've heard it. I know you have. You think you're better than me. You think you're more religious than me. You think you're more spiritual than me. And really what I think people are critiquing in that moment is Christians that have filled themselves with pride on their spiritual walk. That's look at me and look what I've done. 
Growing up, I didn't grow up in a very religious house. So I wouldn't say very at all. It wasn't a religious house at all. In fact, the truth is mom and I and, and, and all of those that grew up in my house detested religious people. We had wanted nothing to do with them. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons that we didn't enjoy being around those people is a lot of times you hear people talk about, well, here's my story, here's what I used to be, and here's what I've become. And a lot of it was look at me, and you could see in these stories not humility but pride. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at who I am. And that humility is what I believe a lot of people in the world are rejecting when they see Christians. When the truth is, I need the humility that says, God, I don't have the answers. I'm not where I need to be. It's not within me to direct my steps. And I'm going to humble myself before you, before your word, that I might be led, I might be directed to accept your standards and strive for those standards in my life that I quit finding excuses, I quit finding justifications for my misbehavior, for my sins, and I began to do the work that you've called me to do. Because the truth is, the second thing that you need along with that, another attitude, is a work ethic. It's not going to be easy. We live in a time period where everybody wants a magic pill. You know, one of the reasons I think that the health and wellness industry is worth so much is everybody's trying to come up with what is the quickest and easiest and pain-freest way that you can lose weight. I, I can sell you this magic diet pill that if you'll take this pill 30 minutes before you eat food, all you got to do is sit on your couch and you'll magically lose all this weight. You watch, somebody will put an ad out for that and people will start buying it like crazy because we want the easy way. We don't want to put it in the, the work ethic. Notice here in, in Luke chapter 16, or pardon me, Luke chapter 14, beginning here in verse 26 on down through 33, what Jesus taught about being the person that's willing to sit and count the cost. He says, and there went a great multitudes to him, and when he turned, he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, and children, brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he have pardon me, after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is teaching here that discipleship isn't a quick and easy process. He said, we need to sit down and count the cost and realize there's a cost involved in it. I think there's a movement that you see rare its head up in the so-called Christian world today of people trying to evangelize by saying, well, just try Christ and see if it won't make your life better. Just try Christ and see if it doesn't find the solutions for life and make you enjoy life. Now listen, I believe Christ has the answers to life's problems. I believe Christ has the answer to our spiritual problems, the problems we have at home, and home relationships and relationships with others. I believe he has the answers, but I don't believe he promised it was all going to be roses and easy. In fact, he said we need to be the kind of people that are willing to sit down and count the cost. Expecting a quick and easy change only sets us up for failure. How many times in your life have you tried to change something expecting it to be easy and when it wasn't easy just gave up on it? Whether it was a spiritual situation or some other habit or some other thing that you do in life, you expected it to be easy and it wasn't and you gave up on it. Having not the right picture sets us up for that disappointment and giving up and that's why 
we need to have that willingness, that work ethic to put in that holy sweat, to get down into where we need to be at. Realist expectations about what it's going to take for me to change. It's the difference between being all in and compromise. I find it interesting that a lot of times people will talk about being on a diet, but you go out and eat with them and they're ordering everything on the menu. And they go, well, it's my cheat day. And that makes it okay and that makes it all right. Problem is, is when we apply that thinking spiritually. Oh, I know I'm not supposed to gossip, but today's my cheat day, so let me tell you what happened. And we have that same compromising attitude that keeps us or prevents us from actually putting away those things that God told us to put away. It keeps us from exercising ourselves to godliness. Notice what the scriptures say about the effort that we're supposed to have. Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11 it says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Follow after these Follow these things. That word follow is translated most oftenly in your Bible as the word persecute. What does it mean to persecute something? Sit back and every once in a while go and do something? Or to be active against it? To seek it? To hunt it down? To track it? To do what you can to make it uncomfortable? To push it out of the way? To try to move it to extinction? And that's what he's saying. Have that kind of work ethic that you're tracking. You're pursuing peace with all men. You're pursuing holiness. You're pursuing godliness, righteousness. That's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to the idea of exercising ourselves to godliness. It's going to take a work ethic in you. And if you're not willing to commit to that work ethic you're not going to be successful in exercising yourself to godliness. That's just a reality. How many people each year commit on January 1st to go to the gym but never follow through by March? It's the same problem. There's not a work ethic, a commitment that says, I'm going to do what it takes. And the reality is, is when I'm the kind of person that follows after righteousness, that I follows after the holiness in my life, that there's going to be certain areas that I'm persecuting and I'm following after harder, and it's going to have a, a, a benefit not just in that area, but other areas of my life. Hebrews 5 and verse 13 talks about having not just a sense, but their senses exercised. The harder I work on some of my weaknesses, the stronger that's going to make me in some areas I'm already stronger at. And there's a benefit to being the kind of person that's willing to exercise the outcome of pursuing our exercising is that it affects other behavior. If you think about it, those that exercise regularly find benefits not just in their health, but also in their sleeping patterns and their energy in other areas of life. It has an overall benefit in their life to just exercise a little bit each day. And that's the same principle we're talking about. I'll never recognize, I'll never see those benefits if I don't have that work ethic to put in the effort that God requires. And here's that effort that we're supposed to do. It really boils down exercising ourselves to godliness to this. We talked about washing our hands and, and cleansing our body. The idea there, or cleansing our heart, the idea there is that I strip away the things that God doesn't want in my life, and I begin to replace that. In fact, the passage that we're basing this off of, that word exercise there, really means to exercise naked, to exercise vigorously in any way, in either body or mind. It has this idea of removing everything from me 
that encumbers me, that slows me down in beginning that exercise. Just the very concept of exercising yourself towards godliness includes the removal of things. Notice it's not just removing the sins in my life, but anything that slows me down. When it gets to the stripping away part, consider Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 where he says, Therefore, seeing we also compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. I love this passage because he differentiates here between the things that slow us down. On one hand, there are the sins that I'm necessarily battling that are keeping me from being godly, but also there's weights in my life. And the weights aren't necessarily things that are sinful. They're things that make it difficult for me to make progress. Listen, if you're trying to lose weight and you're jogging to do that, if you won't put the Twinkie down when, to jog, when it comes time to jog, you're never going to be successful in it. That's just a reality. Is it wrong to eat a Twinkie? Is it sinful to have a Twinkie? Is it a, a violation of a diet? Certainly not on any balanced diet. You can have a, maybe not a Twinkie. Those might not be the most healthy things. But you can have some snacks. You can have some sweets now and then. And it's not wrong to have them, but it might be that that's your weakness that you can't put down that's keeping you from making progress in that area of your life. That same is true spiritually. There may be things that are not necessarily sinful that are slowing you down, that are hindering your progress. Let's say your sin is a, 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 an anger issue, that you've not been able to control your anger, that it gets the best of you and you find yourself exploding and not able to control your temper. And at the same time, you're a huge college football fan and you love your Razorbacks or your Sooners or your Longhorns or whatever it is, but you find yourself on Sunday afternoons screaming and yelling at TV and when your team loses, you come to church on Sunday morning mad. There's a problem. If you can't watch a game where people are the outcome of the game of a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds catching an odd shaped ball affects your behavior, there's a problem. Doesn't mean watching college football is sinful, but it might be a weight to you. Something that's not helping you control your anger and learning to take it and place it the way God wants you to. So in this case, that would be something that we got to strip away is college football. Maybe I need to give that up. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's what you do with your free time. Maybe it's the people you hang out with. None of those in and of themselves are necessarily sinful, but if I'm not willing to set that aside, it's going to slow me down. That's what the attitude I need to have is that I'm going to remove all these weights. I'm going to strip them off, and I'm not going to leave any on me. I'm going to neck exercise naked. I'm going to strip those things away that slow me down. And that's exactly what we read Jesus saying there earlier in Luke, the 14th chapter. And he says again in Luke chapter 9, when he said, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The idea of denying myself is that very thing. I'm going to humble myself and say, God, I need you. I need your strength. I need your equipping. I need the answers to the problems that you have. And I'm going to follow what you tell me to do and take away out of my life those things that are interfering with my relationship with you. Those things that are keeping me from becoming more godly. It's my only natural response that I can have to him. Notice, if you will, the replacement comes after that. It's not just about setting those things aside, but it's filling those things in my life. And I would say to you this morning, or this afternoon, when it comes to what's more challenging, setting aside things in my life or replacing them, I would almost argue that the replacing of bad behavior, of weights, is actually more difficult than taking them off. 
finding something to go in its place. But that's exactly what God told us to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's not just about putting off the old man, which he told us a few verses before this, but it's about putting on that new man. We've all watched a child, an infant, grow and learn to walk. It's awkward. They fall a lot. They bump their heads. You know, when we put off an old way and begin to put on that new man, it's exactly that. It's a new man. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of walking. It's a new way of behaving. And just like a toddler learning to walk for the first time, it's very awkward for us. It's very challenging to master. It's not a way that we're used to thinking. It's not a way that we're used to behaving. It's not a way that we're used to responding. So just like that toddler, we fall a lot and we bump our heads. And we get embarrassed and we get frustrated because it doesn't come easy. And so we're willing to give up and walk away. That's why we need that work ethic that's willing to put us on. I don't know if you've ever in your life had a sin problem or a habit that was pulling you down. And you decided, you know what, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to quit doing that thing. But at the same time, you didn't replace it with anything. You just said, I'm going to quit doing that and didn't find the replacement for it. A lot of times what happens to that individual is they end up picking that thing back up again, whatever it was, a weight or a sin, and this time it has more control over them than it did before. It's stronger. It's more difficult to put down. It's more difficult to walk away from the second time. Notice what Jesus said about this after he talked to his disciples about a man that had an unclean spirit. He was cast out, and he went about the, the desert, he says, looking for a place that he could go to. And he comes back, he says, to this house that he found or that he left, and he finds it clean, swept, and garnished. And then he goeth in and take with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell therein, and the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so it shall be unto this generation. You know, when we don't replace the wicked in our life, the evil, the bad, the weights in our life, this is what we set ourselves up for, for those things to come back with a vengeance. So we need to have the work ethic, the humility that says, these are the things I've got to take off, and these are the things I have to put on. It's not a one or the other, but it's collectively both in changing my life that I strip away and I replace in my life those things that I need. Fourthly, in our study this afternoon, is temperance. If you're reading a different translation of the Bible, you find this word is not always translated as temperance, but as self-control, and that's really what it means. But I want to use the word temperance for our purpose, and I'll show you here in just a second. The reason we need temperance is because at the end of the day, this passage that we read earlier is about the choices that we make. That you control you, that you're the one that's in charge of the choices that you make, and you're the one that decides whether or not I'm going to be all in. You're the one that decides whether I'm going to take it off or I'm going to put it on. You're the one that decides whether I'm going to compromise. That's you. And so you need temperance that's going to cause you to see it through. It's that temperance, it's that self-control in exercise or diet programs that makes you walk past the dessert table. Doesn't matter how good the dessert looks. Doesn't matter how sore I am from working out. It's that self-control that says get out of bed and go do it again. Walk past that. Don't get the big plate. 
get the small plate. Those are all things that are about choices that have a tremendous impact on your physical exercise, on your physical diet. Likewise, it has that spiritually. But I want to be careful because we talked a lot this morning about legalism versus discipleship. And it sounds almost a little bit when you start saying an attitude that you need to have is that I'm in control, that I make these choices. It almost sounds like we're saying, well, it is about you. It's about your choices and your strength and, and your ability. And it's not about that. And that's the reason I don't like to say the word self-control because it's not about me being the one that's strong enough to do it. In fact, turn to Galatians 5, here where the Bible lists for us the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithness, meek, temperance. That's self-control. Against such there is no law. There's that self-control that we're talking about, but notice where this comes from. It's not the fruit of my call is these things. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it is self-control that I make the choices in my life, but it's not about my strength and my ability to do that. When I submit myself and surrender myself to God and follow His plan, He's going to create in me the ability to control myself. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Temperance in my life that I'm able to get up, that I'm able to put off those things that are on and put on the things that I should be. It's not about my strength, but it's about His strength that equips me to be strong enough to do what He called me to do. And when you stop and think about that very thing, it's amazing at the mercy and the extent to which God desires to help us. I want you to stop and think at this point how you would respond to somebody that you're trying to help change that doesn't seem to be making the progress you think they ought to be making. At first, when someone's trying to change, we like to go all out and do, do everything we can to help them. But when they begin to not put in the effort that we think they ought to put in, when they're not making the change fast enough, we start pulling back some of the help that we're willing to offer. Well, that's not where God sits. God says, you keep following my plan, and I will strengthen you, and I will equip you, and I will make you able to stand against these things. So, yeah, you do need self-control, but the only way you're going to get that self-control, that temperance, is by surrendering yourself to God and allowing Him to work through you. A humble attitude that says, it's not in me to, to figure this out, but it's about God's plan. And what He says, and when I follow that plan, I put in the work effort to put away what He says and put on what He says, it'll produce in me even greater strength to put those things away, to have that temperance that He calls for. God is our refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. I don't know about you, but I think my ungodliness the shortness that I have in my life of being what God called me to is a time of trouble. It's what troubles my soul. It's what gives me my problems day by day. My lack of holiness, my lack of righteousness gives me problems day by day. And God is our refuge and God is our strength. He's the one and through Him we can develop that temperance to become what He's called us to become. Lastly this afternoon, the last attitude that I want to mention is not only this humility, not only a work ethic that's willing to put off and put on and develop the self-control in my life, the temperance in my life that I need, but perseverance, the ability to keep the course, to not give in and throw in the towel. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible gives us this admonition when it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction... Pardon me, consider that endured such contradiction as sinners against himself, lest ye be wary and faint in your minds. 
Here we're given Jesus not a, to, to look at not as the object of our faith, but as the example of our faith, and says, Consider him, lest you be weary and faint in the spirit of your mind. There's weary days coming for us. As we battle, as we exercise, there are going to be days you don't feel like doing it. There are going to be days where you feel like you've just messed up and all you've done is defeat, been defeated after defeat after defeat. And there's going to be that weariness that you're going to want to just sit down and go, I'm tired of this battle. I'm tired of wrestling with this and I just want to break. And he says, you look to Jesus. You consider him as an example that will give you the strength to push through those weary days. That will give you the strength to be able to get back up and keep fighting in that. In any exercise, in any diet program, there comes a point where you want to quit comes a point where you're just saying, I don't know. Maybe it's the diet. You don't feel like you're losing weight. You've hit a, a wall, they say. Maybe it's the exercise and your body's just exhausted. That's going to happen spiritually as well. You're going to get exhausted. You're going to be weary. The Bible says push on and push through that. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, 9, it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, I'll be honest with you. For a long time, I've looked at this verse and always applied it to going out and, and making visits and, and looking after other people's needs and, and you know, the, the weary and well-doing. He's saying, don't stop helping other people. Don't stop being a servant to other people. But in context, it's so much more than just serving other people. The well-doing that he's talking about in context is planting and sowing. He says before this, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man plants or whatever man sows, that shall he reap. The idea is, is don't be weary in planting anything. It's the moments of weariness that are the most threatening to us to keep us from growing. And, and by that, the moments of weariness, I don't mean the major decisions. Listen, if I'm on a diet and I've told everybody I'm on a diet and it's mealtime and everybody's sitting around, I've got a lot more strength and I'm, I'm a lot more able because I know my wife is watching, I know my son is watching, I know everybody else is watching. It's a little bit easier in those big moments to find the strength to go, no, I'm going to pass on that. I'll tell you where it's difficult is when my wife's at work, and my son's at school, my daughter's off at college, and I'm at home by myself, and my son just bought a package of Oreo cookies, and I know where they're at. He's smiling because he knows I like Oreos. And if he buys them, he knows he has to hide them because Dad just might eat them all. It's those weary moments, those small moments that I'm tempted to go, one cookie couldn't hurt. Problem is one cookie turns into the whole package. He's saying don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in the details in what seems so mundane, and what seems not like a big deal to you, and going, oh, I can compromise here. It's not that important. He's saying, no, don't be weary in doing the right thing, not just in the big moments, but in the small moments. And I'll tell you a truth that that's where you're going to find the most change takes place in your life is when you're able in those small moments, you're able in those moments when you think nobody's seeing and nobody's watching, you're able to do what God calls you to do. That's real change taking place in your life. Listen, that I know of, nobody's tempted right now to get up and maybe you struggle with a foul mouth. That I know nobody's tempted right now to stand in front of this congregation and let loose just a string of 
profanity-laced statements. Even if you struggle with that, you kind of find a way to control that in this audience, don't you? Makes it a little easier in the crowd. It's in those private moments where we're tempted to get weary and say, this time won't hurt. That I need perseverance. I need staying power that says, I'm going to keep doing the work God called me to do. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to strip away these things that are not right for me. And I'm going to put on the things that God called me to, trusting in His power to change me when I do that. And I'm going to be steadfast in that. You have need, the Bible says, of patience. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, that word patience doesn't mean our ability to wait on somebody at Starbucks that's taken a long time to order. That's not patience in the Bible. Patience is staying power. You have need, he says, of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You need that endurance to stay the course. As a Christian, you probably already know and have already faced some difficult and challenging days. And there will be more ahead. And if you commit yourself to exercise to godliness, even more difficult and more challenging days are ahead. Days where you just won't want to finish. Days where you think it's okay to back up. You have need of endurance. You have need of staying power. That I can keep myself humble and follow through. Some days you're going to fail. And that's a reality. In the small moments, some days you're going to fail in the big moments too. Staying power is what gets me to get back up and get back after the program. Staying power is what allows me when I've made the mistake to begin to correct it and to get back into the program that I need to be. There's a lot of other tools that we could talk about as we have mentioned earlier, prayer, fasting, intense Bible study. And I think all those are a vital part of that and, and certainly they have a place. And as I said, we'll touch on some of those topics as we get into some of these other areas of study. Beginning tomorrow night, we're going to delve into some specific areas where I need to, to exercise myself to godliness, beginning with the heart, with the mind, and then working into the tongue, and then into how we conduct our lives, and then consistency and doing that on a regular basis. And as we get closer into the weekend, we're going to spread that out and get into other areas that we may not think has an impact on our godliness, but the idea of finding my role in the congregation and, and being part of the kingdom that God called me to be, and all these things... There'll be some easy days and there'll be some difficult days in training. We need the staying power. We need to be able to commit ourselves all in to the work that God has called us. To see myself as someone that needs that. Will it be easy to change? No. Can it be done? Yes. Through your strength? No. Through the strength of the one that saved you? Yes. It's possible for you to become closer to the image of what God has called you. It's all about the decisions you make and the choices to surrender yourself to God. At the end of the day, if there's no discipline in your life, you can't be my disciple is what Jesus said. If a man won't deny himself, you cannot be my disciple. I find those to be very chilling words as I think about exercising myself to godliness. If a man won't deny himself, he didn't say he would be a bad disciple. He didn't say if a man won't deny himself, he'll be a weak disciple. He said if a man won't deny himself, he cannot be my disciple. As we contemplate these things this week, take to heart the statement of Jesus that without discipline in our lives, without training for godliness, 
we can't be the disciple God called us to be. Studies yours this afternoon. Hope that these things have kind of helped set the stage for us as we begin this week of study on this topic that we see the need and we see the reasons why we should exercise ourselves to Godliness. We see that our goal is to glorify God and we get a little bit of an idea of what it's going to take to accomplish these things. Not necessarily the specific steps, but the mindset that has to accompany this journey that we go on to become what God has called us to become. If you have a spiritual need this afternoon, congregation stands ready to assist you with that. We lack the power to do anything about your spiritual needs other than the ultimate solution, taking them to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He stands ready today to, to meet your needs, to, to help you become what it is you desire to become through his blood. If you'd like to take advantage of that, we ask you to have a seat in this front row as we stand to sing this song of invitation.